Mark your calendars now for the first ketogenic conference of 2017. It's the second annual conference on nutritional ketosis and metabolic therapeutics coming February 1st through the 4th, 2017 in Tampa, Florida. It is being held by Epigenics Foundation and the University of South Florida. They'll bring together a wide range of international experts speaking about the science and application of low-carbohydrate nutrition and metabolic therapies for the treatment and prevention of cancer, neurological diseases, metabolic disorders, and for optimizing health and human performance. Some of the speakers include Dr. Thomas Seafried, Dr. Jeff Volick, Dr. Dominique Diagostino, Dr. Eric Westman, and many more. For more information about this event, go to metabolictherapeutics.com or visit the show notes section and click on the conference banner. Tickets are now available for the second annual conference on nutritional ketosis and metabolic therapeutics coming February 1st through the 4th, 2017. Are you seeking to be in nutritional ketosis and need a pain-free, inexpensive, and non-invasive way to determine whether or not you are effectively burning fat for fuel? Then get your hands on the FDA-registered Class 1 medical device called Ketonics. It's a breath analyzer you can use thousands of times to test for the presence of acetone, the primary ketone body in the breath. It's been developed by a Swedish engineer with epilepsy as an alternative to the failed urine ketone strips and the expensive blood ketone strips. Ketonics is the first and best way to test for nutritional ketosis in the breath. Plus, you'll be able to chart your readings into convenient data to customize your ketogenic diet to you. Get your hands on the Ketonics 2015 in red or blue in North America for $150 at ketonics.co or get your Ketonics in the rest of the world at ketonics.com. Coming up in episode 1184, Dr. Eric Kossoff. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author. You're like the LL Cool J of podcast, Jimmy Moore. Today's featured audio is from the 2016 On Nutritional Ketosis and Metabolic Therapeutics Conference that took place in Tampa, Florida earlier this year. Sign up now at metabolictherapeuticsconference.com for next year's Tampa event coming February 1st through the 4th, 2017. All right, again, thank you very much uh, to Dom, to Angela for inviting me here. Not just because this is such a great meeting. Adam didn't mention we had 29 inches of snow five days ago in Baltimore. Really nice to be in Tampa. <laughs> it's almost sad to go back. Um, but uh, it's, again, real wonderful to be here. And what I'm going to do in the next 30 minutes, I, I changed my topic a little bit after Dom and I had some uh, email discussions to kind of give you an overview sort of, of what's exciting in the field of epilepsy using ketogenic diets. Um, we'll talk about sort of how to pick the optimal uh, diet, so to speak, uh, about three, three quarters through my talk. 
Um, but to give you sort of a little sense of sort of what's going on in the world of pediatric epilepsy, where the diet is, and really where the new research is going, um, it's a real exciting time for those of us in the field. I'll show you some examples of that. Uh, these are my disclosures. First, I've helped some companies come up with different products. Some of them have helped some of my research. I also uh, want to highlight, as you can see, the royalties. Uh, which is the point button? Oh, thank you, Susan. You're the you're our, you're our guide here, right? Um, actually, Susan is the uh, chief editor of a book by Oxford University Press coming out May, right? No, this fall. This fall, <laughs> uh, that I'm with and uh, Jong is as well as um, Dom as well. So very exciting, a ketogenic diet book written for scientists, written for practitioners. Um, I think probably the first of its kind in that way. Coming out soon. Um, we're in an exciting time, sort of in the field of ketogenic diet work. It is available everywhere. It's almost mainstream for pediatric epilepsy. Um, if you sort of look at what's going on in sort of the world, um, lots of articles being written, certainly making the press. They love to show bacon usually in almost all the images. Um, it is really kind of here to stay. It is sort of known about. Um, almost every center in the United States has a ketogenic diet center. I was chatting with Eric Westman earlier, and if you want your U.S. News & World Report rating for your hospital, you have to, have to check off a box that says you have a ketogenic diet center for epilepsy. Um, it'll give you a higher ranking on U.S. News & World Report. Very exciting time for those of us in the field. Um, so what's new? What's sort of going on in pediatric epilepsy sort of moving forward? Uh, I'm going to talk first about some new indications, sort of who we use the diet for, what types of epilepsies. Status epilepticus is one of the hottest topics right now. Uh, at the Banff meeting, I think there's going to be several lectures all about status epilepticus, what that is, and also some new indications. Uh, being more flexible, knowing that this is a difficult diet for children uh, and now adults, which we'll talk about too, to do. Uh, how do we make it easier? How do we be a little more flexible uh, than what we were maybe taught 100 years ago when we think about dietary therapies? Uh, we're also getting smarter about supplements, ways to make the diet safer so we can keep kids on it longer, avoid the side effects that I think a lot of parents are worried about. Some neurologists maybe won't refer, worried about these side effects. If we can knock these side effects out and make it less of an issue, more children can go on the diet. Uh, and then at the very end, I'll touch base about some really exciting new initiatives uh, that we have to sort of fill in that colored map of the world where the diet is offered. Uh, we have some early ideas that I think we're very excited about. Um, so we're kind of, again, in a new stage now. And I think if you ask researchers in the world, you know, do we need to prove that the ketogenic diet works, most of us would say, kind of been there, done that. Okay? These are two articles published in 2008. Uh, the first was from our center, uh, sorry, this one below here, uh, where we did a blinded, double-blinded, uh, placebo-controlled trial of the diet. And as well, as Adam mentioned earlier, uh, done from Liz Neal and Helen Cross and their group in London the same year both showing efficacy. New studies have come out, but I think we're kind of at a point now where we have very good evidence that the diet works very well. Uh, in 2012, the Cochrane Review was done looking at ketogenic diets for epilepsy. At the very end of this very long document, they said it does show efficacy. It should be used routinely for intractable epilepsy in children when medications, usually two or three, have failed. So the next step is, well, who should go on the diet? This is the question I'm often asked at child neurology meetings, sometimes even by pediatricians. They'll say, okay, you know, should this child go on the diet? Should this child go on the diet? Who should not go on the diet? And I think we have enough evidence now that we can be pretty clear. Now, if you look at this article, they talk about sort of in a, in a paragraph nutshell, who should go on the diet? 
It says, in general, it may be said that the treatment can be tried whenever the mentality of the patient is sufficiently good to grasp the methods of dieting. The courage and willpower are great enough to promise persistence. I like that part. It is a waste of time to treat patients who take liberties with the diet or cannot be controlled. That was 1930, okay? Really, 1990s, early 1990s, we weren't a whole lot better, okay? People would ask, you know, and you'd look in articles, you'd look in sort of the first edition of our ketogenic diet book, who should go on the diet? The answer was, try it. Try it in everybody, see if it works. We don't know who it's gonna work for, we don't know who it's not gonna work for. Nonsense. We're a lot better, okay? So the 2009 consensus paper, this was good reading for anyone interested in sort of the using diets for epilepsy, came out in 2009. Many of the uh, co-authors are here at this meeting as well. Uh, we felt this was probably the most important aspect of it. So table one of the consensus paper uh, highlighted where we have very good evidence that usually about 50% of children respond to the diet. That's what most evidence would say. If you look overall, these studies for these indications, we're talking 80, 90% response rates. Multiple studies, many prospectives, some large multi-center studies, such that we felt this was very good evidence that these conditions maybe think about the diet sooner rather than later, or in some cases, Eric and I were talking about this too, maybe even think about it first. And we're starting to go in that direction. If we really know the diet's that effective, why wait till two or three drugs have failed? And so we have this very good evidence for these indications. And this is about, again, six, seven years old. Some of these that are in the suggestion of benefit mitochondrial disorders can cause epilepsy too. Um, we'll probably sneak into the next itineration of this being as a uh, definite benefit. But at least right now, this is what we have. Um, and so what's really going on in the field now is trying the diet for unique indications. Epilepsy is, again, many different, different types of epilepsy, as Adam mentioned. These are some of the new indications just in the last 12 months that have started to come uh, into the medical literature. Some relatively benign, childhood absence epilepsy, juvenile myoclonic epilepsy. These are very common epilepsies that we take care of in children. Medications, 80% effective almost unethical to try the diet in this situation because the medicines work so well with low side effects. But not always, okay? And for many years, these conditions were felt not to be diet candidates because medicines work, but there are examples where medicines don't work. And now we have very good evidence, usually using the more uh, alternative diets, which I'll talk about, using these diets for these conditions, especially absence epilepsy, can be very, very helpful. As well, the other extreme, some of the most severe types of epilepsies we take care of, uh, status epilepticus or a condition called fire syndrome, these are children who come in with a seizure that never stops. They're in the ICU, they're intubated, usually with feeding tubes, mortality rates about 25, 30%. Uh, very, very severe epilepsies. Uh, these are conditions where if these children are in ICUs and they have feeding tubes, sort of makes a lot of logical sense to try using a dietary therapy if medicines have failed. Um, and we're getting there. Uh, and you know, we heard a lot about uh, how cancer is maybe starting to move forward from Tom Seafried earlier. And you say, well, case reports don't do a lot. In this situation, it actually seems to be really turning the tide. These are all case reports, but you can see uh, they're coming out in real rapid fire succession. Small case series, I'll grant you, five, one, largest being 10. Uh, mostly using the classic ketogenic diet, mostly, interestingly, inflammatory causes of status epilepticus, maybe hinting as to why it may be effective, maybe the anti-inflammatory benefits for certain kinds of epilepsies, it works very well. Uh, but what's amazing is how quickly it works, usually within about seven to eight days. Uh, as a result of this, 
people are changing their mind. The ICUs were initially skeptical back around 2009. Now they call us almost every other week and want to do it for cases where maybe medicines maybe should be given a little longer. Um, it's interesting to watch how things change pretty quickly in the field. All you need is research, research and time. Uh, another quote indication, so to speak, that is new uh, is adults. Okay, for many years, this was not perceived to be an option uh, for adults with epilepsy. Uh, too tough to do, too restrictive. If you read the articles out there, not without a lot of science why you couldn't do it for adults, but it was generally not perceived as a mainstream option. Uh, that is changing very quickly. This is uh, a slide that was given to me by Mackenzie Cervenka, uh, who's at Hopkins and who runs our Adult Epilepsy Diet Center. Uh, for every child that I put on the ketogenic diet, there's probably now three adults starting. Sort of you know, tapping a need that obviously was there. Uh, pretty amazing how quickly this is growing. Uh, in the five, six years now that the center's been operational, we've had about 200, now about 250 adults. Most of them are naive to the diet. They failed medicine, some have failed surgery. Their epilepsy is continuing despite a lot of new drugs out there. And they're told by their neurologist, no, this is a diet for children, it is not done for adults. And they're finding out very quickly that that's not the case. And so these are popping up very quickly around the world. There's a nice one in London that started as well. Uh, some of them that I find actually personally very interesting have been uh, the people who were children who then turn 18 and need to stay on dietary therapy, and I'm able to transition them into this adult clinic. Uh, previously, this was a big issue for me. My patients turned 18, as they often do. Uh, they still needed dietary therapy, but I had a lot of trouble finding someone to help take care of them. Um, so these adult centers are really filling that potential niche, uh, which has been great. Okay, the next thing that I think is really exciting in sort of the world of ketogenic diet therapies um, is not necessarily even by neurologists, but also by dietitians and parents saying, hey, you know, do we have to be so strict? Can we be more flexible? Uh, this is one of my star patients who actually was admitted for the diet a few months ago. Uh, you can see her here having her uh, eggs and bacon, cheese, everything very carefully measured out in gram scales to the gram, very precise, uh, brought on a kind of a bland tray. There's one of her medicines there. Uh, she's giving me a kind of meh thumbs up, okay? She's doing okay with it. But, you know, when we describe this to parents, we show them pictures like this when we're counseling them, they're not thrilled. They say, you know, there are other ways to do this. You know, my child's going to have difficulty with this, and you're talking potentially two years or more that they're going to have to do this. And so the question has come up for many years about, do we have to be so strict? Um, there have been a lot of great things that have come out to help change that. Uh, there are many different ketogenic formulas. Some of them are right outside the door. Um, all of these have been used by many of our families to be very creative. Many of these are powdered formulas that can be mixed with water and then given as a formula, predominantly used for infants, uh, patients who have gastrostomy tubes, but very creative parents have used these powders to use as a alternative baking mix and come up with different foods. Uh, these are just some examples that have been given to me from around the world of ketogenic foods, and uh, it's amazing to see all the different ones that are out there now. Most of these created by parents. Um, this is from the Harry Lane Guide, 1953, How Do You Start the Diet? very, very strictly in 1953. An initial period of starvation to establish ketosis is necessary. This lasts a minimum of three days, usually four to five days. No food. Try telling that to a parent. Unless untoward reactions occur, intake is limited to 800 to 1,000 cc's of water per day. So they used to fluid restrict, not just calorie restrict. If after the third day, the increment of weight loss is stabilized, ketonuria has been marked, the diet is then started. That was what we used to do at Hopkins. So no food until they were ketotic. 
sometimes five or six days. Uh, and then you do one quarter, one half, three quarters, and finally full calories. And this is kind of not too different from what I was taught when I was a fellow. And people said, really? Do we have to do this? Lots of good evidence from dietitians as well as neurologists saying, hey, maybe not so much. Um, good evidence, especially one of the seminal studies from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Christina Berquist, 2005, randomized children to either fasting or no fasting, found no difference in outcome. Um, many centers are now not admitting for the diet. Um, a very recent study um, from Jennifer Fabay from Canada looking at a gradual introduction over several weeks, not over a few days, all showing that, you know, there's more than one way to do the diet. It doesn't always have to be exactly as sort of the Hopkins quote-unquote protocol. Um, I love to show this, maybe a little hard to see in the back, but this was a study from 2010, a review of how different centers in the United Kingdom were doing the diet. And I think the take home message of this was just how different it was being done. Uh, here you have a children's hospital, teaching hospital, child neurologist, general pediatrician doing it here too. Um, some had a nurse, some were doing it home, some were doing it hospital. And you know, the evidence would say these all are effective. And we're gonna come back to this in a little bit uh, later on, uh, but I think this is again where things are heading. Real food is something the keto community can rally behind and support as we shift away from the sugary, grainy, starchy, food-like disease agents sold in grocery stores and more towards high-quality food that nourishes our bodies. That's why I love ButcherBox. Visit butcherbox.com Jimmy and you'll get an exclusive deal on 100% grass-fed beef, organic chicken, and heritage breed pork delivered right to your door for $6.50 a meal. That includes free shipping and $10 off your order, plus a free smoked bratwurst. Butcher Box has a commitment to supplying only the very finest cuts of grass-fed and pastured meats you can find anywhere. The best and most convenient part for our busy lifestyles is they ship your box to wherever you are so you can fire up the grill and enjoy food you can believe in again. Again, it's Butcher Box. Visit butcherbox.com jimmy for this exclusive deal for my listeners. There's also more than one diet now. I always like to take photographs of this at supermarkets. Um, I don't know exactly what Atkins for Carb Lovers is. Um, <laughs> I probably should have bought the magazine to find out, but I did take a picture of it and send it to the Atkins people. Um, there are now four major dietary therapies out there. So there is certainly the classic ketogenic diet, um, and that has been around now since 1921. Uh, there's also the MCT diet, or the medium-chain triglyceride diet. Uh, there's the modified Atkins diet, which I'll talk about too. I'll talk about all of these very briefly. Uh, and then something as well that Adam touched on very briefly during his talk, something called the LGIT, or the low glycemic index treatment, the idea being based on what the glucose would be, that maybe that's the factor in keeping the glucose stable. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There are some other diets that have been out there. There's a corn oil diet. I see Beth in the back has something called the modified ketogenic diet. And these are all great ideas, different ways to do the diet, and some benefits to each of them. Now, the MCT diet came around in the 1970s, uh, initially by Peter Huttenlocker from Chicago. Uh, it is now mostly used, as you can see here, uh, in UK, although there are centers in the United States and Canada as well that will use the MCT diet. Um, this is using MCT as a highly ketogenic oil, which then, if you use that, allows for more carbohydrates to be incorporated on the diet, 
making it slightly uh, more palatable. Um, it is typically around 40 to 50%. So unlike ketogenic diets who are on ratios, my children are on a four to one keto ratio or a three to one keto ratio, children on the MCT diet are on a percentage. So the child will come in and say, I'm on a 45% MCT diet or a 60% MCT diet. Um, similar in efficacy, good studies show Efficacy is about the same. The two major benefits that I see, uh, number one is that there's some evidence that it might be a little bit kinder on the lipid profile. So if I have a child who comes in who their lipid profile is high to start or goes up on the ketogenic diet, I might incorporate or even switch them to the MCT diet. Uh, as Adam mentioned, it does have some side effects. One of them is diarrhea. Constipation can be a side effect of the diet, so sometimes we'll incorporate MCT to counteract the side effect of the ketogenic diet. A nice little trick my dietitian will do sometimes too. The modified Atkins diet we created at Hopkins back about 2001, 2002. This was again mostly by what parents were telling us that again we did not need to be as strict as we thought we needed to be. Uh, it is essentially a lower ratio ketogenic diet. Uh, the foods look awfully similar. Um, it is still a high fat, um, moderate protein, a little more protein than the regular ketogenic diet, but still very low carbohydrate diet. So some families will ask me, you know, this is better because there's more carbs. And I tell them, actually, it's really not that different. And actually, in some cases, you might actually have less carbs on the modified Atkins diet. Um, but it does allow a little more flexibility in terms of protein. Uh, carbohydrates are limited. Uh, so unlike weighing and measuring of foods that some families do, most families do on the ketogenic diet, uh, these families buy carb counting guides and keep their carbohydrates low, uh, generally around 15 to 20 grams per day for teenagers, and about 20 to 25 for adults. Um, and this has been growing rapidly in literature. It's about 500 patients now, uh, and the efficacy looks quite similar. Um, if you look at sort of the diets in comparison to each other, if this is the ketogenic diet here, the standard diet, or what a lot of people out there are eating, probably not at this conference, but other people, uh, the modified Atkins diet is somewhere in between. Still a high fat, low carbohydrate diet, but kind of about halfway. Uh, the other benefits are there's no admission to the hospital, no fasting, again, that's not necessary for the ketogenic diet, but for modified Atkins diet, it's something I can do as an outpatient. So I'll see a child in clinic, and I say, I really think you need to be on a diet right now. I could do the ketogenic diet maybe in a month by admitting them, or I could tell them, take a two-hour break, come back at 5 o'clock, call my wife, tell her I'm going to be a little late that day, and then I'll see them at 5 o'clock and teach them how to do the modified Atkins diet. So it allows a little more of an urgency in some situations, if necessary. The low glycemic index treatment, or LGIT, uh, was created uh, here at the Mass General Hospital uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, by uh, Elizabeth Thiel and Heidi Pfeiffer, uh, targeting the concept that anecdotally many families, as Adam mentioned when he was chatting with you, Eric, about that, that it may be that carbohydrates may be more of a role than the fat. Families had noticed in some situations, not all, that if carbohydrates are reintroduced, the seizures seem to get worse. So targeting that potential mechanism of action, the LGIT, keeps your glycemic index lower than 55, and interestingly, many of these children are not ketotic, yet they have good seizure control. Um, and it's limited in terms of numbers, but growing, and people are using this generally in situations where the amount of fat becomes an issue. So if you have to give them lots of fat uh, on the ketogenic or modified Atkins or MCT diet, and they can't tolerate that, we have shifted some children to the LGIT diet. Uh, I know Elizabeth and the group in Boston are using this a lot as sort of an early therapy, saying that, you know, this may not be unhealthy, and we'll talk about side effects in a few minutes. So they're moving to this as an early therapy as well. Okay, doing well. Uh, supplements, okay, two last things, and then uh, I'll 
take some time for questions. One of the barriers to ketogenic diet therapy that I deal with as a neurologist is when you talk to families and they say, oh, we, we want that therapy that has no side effects that Johns Hopkins has because we don't want medicine. I say, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I say, the diet has problems. It is not a therapy without problems or side effects, different side effects in medicines, but it has issues that you need to be carefully followed for. Um, these are the major side effects we deal with, constipation, weight loss, reflux. Uh, some of the studies out of Korea show it's almost universal to have reflux on children on the ketogenic diet, acidosis, and then the more occasional in the sort of four to five percent range, effects on lipids, kidney stones, effects on growth. Um, some recent studies showing selenium deficiency can be an issue too. They're out there, most of these are predictable, and I think where we're heading in the field is trying to prevent these. We used to be very reactive. Child had a high cholesterol, okay, let's change the diet. Child had a kidney stone, all right, let's start this supplement, which I'm gonna talk about, see what happens. And this is sort of an example of a study where I think, again, the field is heading, which is giving supplements before the side effect occurs to try to prevent them. Uh, this was a study done by Melanie McNally, who's now currently one of our child neurology residents, who interestingly was a student in Tom Seafried's lab in Boston College before she went to medical school. Pretty cool. And that she went into child neurology. Um, anyway, uh, Melanie looked at uh, our experience using a substance called citrique, or polycitra is another option, uh, as a therapy to help prevent kidney stones by making the urine less acidic. Um, we went from 6% when we would just reactively treat uh, with the, um, uh, when the urine showed signs of kidney stones. Now by using it in every single child on the ketogenic diet, uh, we've dropped to probably less than 1% nowadays. And so this is where people are thinking about. Um, the supplementation table that was in our consensus paper uh, had very limited amounts of supplements, multivitamin, minerals, calcium, and vitamin D. But as you can see here, lots of potential optional extra supplementations. Um, I would suspect, again, the next version of the consensus statement comes out. Many of these optional supplements may pop into what we think should be universal in all these children. And so it's interesting because these families come in and they say, you know, I, doctor, I came in to get rid of medicine and now you're adding a whole bunch more. And we say, well, you know, we're trying to actually get rid of medicines for seizures, but these are supplements. And so some of the companies are aware of this. They're coming out with different supplements out there that are designed for children on the ketogenic diet. These are a few and there's more coming. Um, great ideas to make it again more palatable for these children. More to come in that. Lastly, I'll just touch base briefly on sort of where I think the future is going. Uh, if you remember, I showed you this graph uh, earlier showing you sort of where in the world, colored in dark, ketogenic diet therapies are. We're doing pretty well. Okay, lots of different countries around there offer the ketogenic diet. If you flip this around, this is where we have work to do. Okay, hopefully by the time I retire in my career, this will be all white and this will be all black. Um, and so what's exciting is that the International League Against Epilepsy, which for many years really wasn't that interested in the ketogenic diet, has taken international awareness through parent support groups. Um, we just put out this paper uh, a few months ago, sort of saying, okay, that's great with the consensus paper, but for some parts of the world, that is just not feasible. The diet is just too difficult to do, at least the way it's often done in the United States or England or Europe. And so we put this out a few months ago, um, and there's some really interesting aspects of that, saying that you know it doesn't have to necessarily be a neurologist, and for some of these alternative diets, you maybe can have either a neurologist or a dietitian, but maybe you don't have to have both. 
um, saying that yes, you can do this as an outpatient. We also tackled the topic of how to train centers and suggested that if you do, do, uh, do train a center, at least have a person you can go to if you get into trouble very easily accessible. And so again, exciting work to again, try to bring the diet all over the world for epilepsy. We're getting close. Um, so again, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, we're really kind of advancing the field in epilepsy. There's some exciting work going on. Uh, and uh, this is our team. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I'm a pediatric physical therapist and my license restricts me from being able to talk about this patient. I see a little, a little nine-year-old girl who is um, cerebellum shrinking and she's having major seizures. They just pegged her. She's a Neo Pete Jr. Kepra, Minpat, Unpan. So um, lots of them around Florida. Actually, Stacy can raise her hand. I'm volunteering you, Stacy. <laughs> so Stacy's here in uh, St. Petersburg. Miami Children's has a very good ketogenic diet center as well. But you know, again, I just caution you: every case is different. You know, and cerebellar atrophy is unusual with epilepsy. So they may want to know, you know, is there a metabolic condition because the diet could make that worse. Um, but you know, we, we often use it for cases just like that. But the other, yeah, Eric. Do you use ketone monitoring? Um, less than we used to. Less than we used to. So. Um, uh, you can measure ketones, uh, obviously no stranger to this audience, using blood or urine. Um, you know, I think as some of the evidence Adam showed that says it's multifactorial, um, we also anecdotally in children have seen that ketones don't always seem to correlate necessarily with seizure control. It's a marker that their body has made the change, but it's, it's almost in a way like a drug level. Someone who is on Dilantin can have a low level and do very well, and then another child will have a high level and be doing poorly. So I, I do have families check urine. I have them measure on a calendar, usually for a few months. When they come back to their first visit, we try to correlate it. I'd say maybe like 20% there's a clear correlation. And in those children, I do keep an eye on it pretty clearly, and some I'll even go to blood. But the other 80%, I don't get too worried about. So there also is breath ketones, right? Oh, right, sure. Kids. So in yeah. adults, I basically say it's going to work if you do. And yeah, it's hard enough to get adults. It's going to work if you're ketotic. No, no, if you follow uh, the diet. Yes. But, and uh, methodologically, it's helpful in studies that they show that they've been restricting carbs enough right. to keep the area or blood levels. Right. I can just imagine the frustration of trying to get kids to stay away from it. Right. And without some kind of external monitoring. And, and the dietary yeah. description of 5 to 1, 3 to 1 may have no correlation to the, the biologic changes that are occurring in a given When we do studies and they ask for how you're showing compliance, we'll say seizure calendars and diet calendars, but we'll also say ketones. And it's, it's certainly not perfect, but it's probably the best way we can measure compliance. But I, again, we, we tend to get less concerned about it than we used to many years ago. I mean, we used to have families really tracking their ketones so clearly, and you know, it's, it, it may not matter as much as we think it does. It's interesting. Maybe mechanistically, it just, well, for some it might, and it may be for certain epilepsies, ketosis really matters. And that's what we need to kind of keep moving in the field with. For certain epilepsies, maybe it doesn't. For cancer, maybe ketosis, you know, we heard about calorie restriction. Maybe it's that, not ketosis. So 
I tell families if it does matter for your child, if it seems clear after a few months, fine. We'll, we'll keep track. But otherwise, we kind of start laying off on the key. Another weight change, maybe. Weight too, right. Although most of my kids, I try not to get them to lose weight. Most of them don't. That's my dietitian's job, kind of keep them from losing weight. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. For the modified Atkins diet, yes. um, do you prescribe a certain amount of fat, for example, for those with reef dogs that eat too much, they yeah. might not tolerate, or is just okay with the carbohydrate I, I start with modified Atkins diet by just saying eat as much fat as you can. If they're doing well, then I'm, I'm fine with that. It's when they come back and they're either not making ketones or they're having difficulty with seizure control, then sometimes actually my dietitian will look very carefully at their food record and, and be more prescriptive. But we try not to. I mean, it's sort of one of the perks you know, of modified Atkins diet is that there's not as strict dietitian monitoring. So, but she will get involved in the, if they're not doing as well as we'd like. But otherwise, it's eat a lot. That's our advice. I just wanted to know, how do you think the epilepsy field has been so successful in um, getting parents to accept the dietary change in children yeah. versus other fields like type 1 diabetes? For example, you tell a kid to stop eating sugar and their parents freak out because they're depriving their children of a normal child so they yeah. should have sugar and it's, it's almost You know, the, uh, the, my short answer is the internet. It's amazing. I mean, and we've done, we actually did a study about how parents find out about the ketogenic diet for epilepsy and blew any book that we ever wrote away. The internet is such a powerful thing. The Charlie Foundation is amazing. Um, there are recipe sites all over. And the families come in. I mean, we have a little bias probably at Hopkins, but even at other centers, smaller centers, they'll say these parents come in knowing that they want it, very specifically which diet they want. And I think they're not as scared as they used to be. They see these recipes out there. They see that it can be made more normal. They see, there, again, the flexibility I talked about. And maybe that's the key for other neurologic diseases, that if we're flexible and willing to modify the diet, it might be more accepted by patients. I think that's helped. It's one of the ways it's helped. But I think also doctors uh, you know, are also uh, much more accepting of the diet, too. You know, they go to their neurologist, and the neurologist says, that's a great idea. And that wasn't true 20 years ago. Thank you. time on the Live and La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll take a look at the ketogenic diet and cancer with one of the researchers looking into this. His name, Dr. Eugene Fine, sharing from the 2016 Metabolic Therapeutics Conference. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveandlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live and La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Light.